Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker here with Andrea Pearson, and we're doing a little extra show this week. We also have a guest, K.M. Shea, who was on, I don't know, the second or third episode back before Andrea even came on the show. And um, she and I have recently, at the exact same day, launched new urban fantasy series. So we thought we would just do a kind of a bonus show talking informally about that. And Andrea was able to join us here also on Sunday night. And she launched, uh, I think, back in November or so, I believe it was, Andrea. And so you're also doing urban fantasy right now. And, and you've also had the experience of launching into KU. Or, um, excuse me, Kitty and I both went into KU. And you've tried wide uh, somewhat recently. So we're going to ask you a little bit about that, too. But this is mostly going to be the KU show tonight the Amazon KU show. We will try to get somebody who's rocking it wide at some point to talk with you guys about how to successfully launch in all the stores. Um, but Kitty and I have both built up fan bases in other genres. She does the fairy tales for the most part. And, you know, I've been doing space opera most recently and then sort of steampunk epic fantasy before that. Uh, and I thought you might be interested in hearing like how it's going for us, our different approaches. And then, I don't know, we'll, we'll talk about it tonight, informally, roundtable. Here we go. <laughs> um, Kitty, do you want to introduce yourself for those who may not have caught that earlier episode? Sure. So I'm Cam Shea. I also have a pen name, Am Soma, that I write a lit RPG series under. But I'm mostly well known for doing fairy tales and uh, epic fantasy. Uh, it's really the fairy tales are the, the big thing. And uh, yeah, I love to write all kinds of fantasy so i've had a smattering of super old books that i prefer to kind of like flick under the rug and pretend they don't exist but fairy tales and, and epic fantasy are my main thing and i'm so happy to be back well we're happy to have you and i have to ask before we jump in did you, were you and i coming up with urban fantasy at the same time because i know i talked about it at nink and i think yes. you were also you're like i gotta go over there and talk to Lindsay hall because she's huge in urban fantasy and yeah uh, I think we were both just about the same time. And Andrea, you've been doing urban fantasy. Do you want to talk a little bit first about, you know, your series? And uh, did you do this last one in KU or did you start wide and then go into KU? Um, yeah, I've got like um, three or four urban fantasy series. Um, the, this last one was I did launch it wide and I... I honestly kind of regret doing that just because my urban fantasy does really well in Kindle Unlimited and the series that was wide um, did well because it was wide and had been wide for a very long time and trying to get new readers to try out a new series that wasn't in Kindle Unlimited was actually pretty difficult compared to when I launched straight into Kindle Unlimited. Um, and so um, all my recent launches have been into Kindle Unlimited except that one and it, and it, um, did not go super well. The one that I did wide, the Shadow Prophet, that's my Midnight Chronicles. And that came out at the end of last year. Um, I put a lot of money into it. It was like pulling teeth to gain any traction and comparing that to a comparable series that I released a year earlier in Kindle Unlimited. And I didn't put any money to that, hardly any money. And I launched the first book in that series at $2.99 and the first book in this series at 99 cents. And I made so much more money on it. And these are all kind of like spin-off series all of my series they you know take characters from other series and they kind of all intermingle and so it's a very comparable series and i know part of it is um um launching the midnight chronicles into into uh sorry wide versus in kindle limited and urban fantasy really is a big kindle kindle unlimited genre 
Um, but also like I had a lot of problems with covers. I've, I've had five professionally made covers on Shadow Profit <laughs> and it's not even been out for a year. It's been out since October. And I've got another one that's that I just approved from a new cover designer and I, I like it a lot. So we're going to see, I have to, you know, run Facebook ads and see, see if it'll actually work and I'll be able to start recouping the money that I put into the launch. But yeah, so, um, yeah, basically with that series, once I realized how poorly it was doing wide, I pulled it and put it in Kindle Unlimited. And I still kind of feel bad about that because I've never done that before, you know, releasing wide and then like two weeks later, putting it in Kindle Unlimited. But at least I put everything in Kindle Unlimited. You know, I didn't just take first book and put in Kindle Unlimited and leave the rest of the books up or, you know, in that series or whatever. So yeah, it's been going a lot better recently. And once I get a, a book cover on it that I feel fits it better and fits the market a little bit better than I think it'll do um, a little bit better. And it has, like I said, it's been doing much better since I put in Kindle Unlimited. The end. <laughs> so the story is not that you can't launch wide, but it's, we've talked about before, it's tougher because since obviously in KU, every borrow counts equally to a sale as far as rankings and uh, sharing on Amazon goes. And Kitty, perhaps wisely, or just, I think you started a little later than we did in your publishing career and Kindle Unlimited and KDP Select were already a thing. And, and you just, did you ever experiment with wide or I know you're all in KU now. Um, I think this is actually like my seventh year of doing this. So I don't know. Kindle Unlimited didn't exist at that time. But uh, I am a huge fan of the 80-20 rule, which is like where you do a lot less work for like the greater, uh, I guess, the bigger squeeze kind of thing. So I had looked at launching wide and I was like, no, that's too much work. I would rather just focus on the one platform and not have to worry about getting like five other billion things up. So I had decided even before KU existed that I didn't want to do that. And um, I kind of started talking, saying how we were talking about maybe going into urban fantasy back in, um, I guess that was September. And I should say we're recording now on March 8th, and this will be out in a week or two. Um, what, what, what made you decide? Because I know I just had a character that wanted to be contemporary Earth, and I've reluctantly kind of said, well, I'm just going to have to go all in and call it urban fantasy and, and hope my fans will follow me. What made you decide to take that jump? I uh, released last year the first three books in a six book like epic fantasy fairy tale series that they did really, really well. But they're also extremely long books, extremely hard to write because they all tied in into my original fairy tale series. So I was doing like tons of timeline work. I had to build like an entire encyclopedia because it had like 10 different countries and royal families, each doing their own thing. So I burned out, I'm sorry, I burned out hardcore and I wanted to keep writing. And my goal was to stay under the umbrella of fantasy, but I wanted to do something that would be extremely different. So it kind of hit a reset button on my creativity. And uh, urban fantasy was a good bit because I'm just a huge urban fantasy reader as well. I'm one of the KU binge readers for that. Yes, so am I. <laughs> So I, I hear that because I've been, you know, listeners have heard me talk about my space opera that's I'm editing book seven now and there's the seven POVs and it's just very complicated and slow going. And it's been quite delightful. I took a break and wrote the first four actually in this urban fantasy series, all first person POV. I think one made it over 90,000 words, but most of them are like 75 to 85,000 words. And it's like, wow, this is so easy compared to 150 or 130,000 words. And yeah, yeah. My last epic fantasy book was 160,000 and that just about killed me. And, and this trilogy, uh, the first two books are in the 70,000 range. So I'm like, oh, this is so nice. 
And um, I should say, I don't think I actually said in the intro, one of the reasons I wanted to have Kitty back on the show is, you know, I feel like you're right in there. Like, I, I'm going to ask you in a second if you decided to write to market, but like, I, you know, your books in there, like it's $3.99. It's between like 300 and 400 in, in the store. Uh, you know, we're, we're like at a week and a half or so since launch. And I don't think you're spending, I know you're not spending nearly as much on ads as I am because I see my book all over. And I'm like, I'm paying for that. Excellent. And um, like mine has been as good as like 120 in the store and it's dropping now. I'm kind of running out of juice. I've just got AMS ads left running, but it's, it's still under 200, which is great for me uh, coming from Epic Fantasy. That's pretty hard to do that well. But um, I feel like what you're doing is very attainable to um, our listeners that aren't like, hey, I'm going to go spend $500 a day during launch week. Um, I, I think you're not spending that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I don't, I've seen your ads around here and there, but you know. Pretty I'm sure. super proud. I spent $20 yesterday. Oh yeah, big money here. Uh, <laughs> no, and that's amazing. And I think you're, you know, you're doing vampire uh, romance, you know, paranormal vampire romance, even though I, I'm like 30% in and it's very sweet and chaste so far. We barely met the vampire dude, like he's in the background. So it's not a, a and I think people should know they don't have to do steamy if they don't want to. Um, no, no, I, but, uh, I'm marketing as clean and, and my readers love that too. That's why a bunch of them, that's why I got a lot of crossover from them was because they knew that that's what I would do. All right. So question for both of you. Um, did you study the market and write something you thought would be to trend or market for your latest series? Um, can I actually make a really quick point about why that I forgot to make answering my sure, last question? Sure, We'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> so something I learned even talking to my merchandisers when I was releasing this last series, um, it's hard for authors who do really well wide even to get traction with a new series. And so if I probably if I left the series wide for a while, it would have gained traction just like every other series. And just for our listeners, just to remember that you have to have a lot of patience. And unfortunately, I hadn't released anything in 10 months, I couldn't afford to have patience, I needed money, like fast. And so I mean, if you want to go wide, and there's zero, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, just have patience with the launch and realize you're not going to get necessarily going to get that big jump at the beginning that a lot of authors do get with Kindle Unlimited. So that was my point. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Did, and it sounds like you uh, did a natural uh, spinoff kind of in, in your world. But were you thinking like, these are the tropes that are popular in urban fantasy, should I try to hit them? Or were you just like, I'm going to tell the story I want to tell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm always like, I like, okay, so I don't remember which of our guests, one of our guests was saying the two circles and the circle in the middle, you know, what the market wants, what you want to write, and then find what, find what, um, find what meets in the middle and write that. That's kind of what I do. I'm always studying the market, doing my best to write to trend, but I don't always do that. And I don't usually do what readers expect. Um, that's one of those things that, you know, who was it was saying you read your positive reviews. And if they mention, so mine are always saying she does random twists that people don't expect and they don't follow tr um, trope very well. Um, I, I do my best, but I don't, I don't go completely to market. I just can't. I mean, with my romances, I can, but with fantasy, it just, yeah. So like this, my last two series, I, I enjoy original monsters and magic systems, but I wanted them to have familiar monsters. And so I created my own versions of vampires and, and werewolves. So like my vampires are called fire vampires and they're able to be out during the day and they use 
like they gain power through blood and fire. So they'll drain blood and then burn the victim and then eat the victim's ashes and smoke. And so just... <laughs> Sounds great, right? <laughs> uh, yummy. That's uh, fine. Sounds yummy. It's, it's, it's on point for the genre though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then like my werewolves, I don't really have werewolves. I have shifters, you know, and they shift into dogs, um, Zolos, if you, if you know what they are, a dog from Mexico. Um, but so readers have responded really well, but I'd probably make more money. I think if I made them straight to trope, you know, if I had like traditional vampires and traditional werewolves, but it's been a lot of fun and I've made enough money to make it worth it. And also, you know, you know, satisfy that little itch that I have to do monsters that kind of rebel against what everybody expects. <laughs> and Kitty, I'm just assuming you were kind of going for the market, but it may, I know you are a big fan and read a lot of it too. So maybe you're just totally writing what you want to write. Do you love vampires or were you like vampires are still hot? I'm going to do vampires. <laughs> well, like, um, so I don't necessarily write to trend and my trend, I mean like the hot new Thing. Like last year, I feel like shifters were really big in urban fantasy. And I'm not very good at doing that just because I, hmm, uh, I have a, an assistant who really crunches numbers and she's always hitting home that my backlist is really like what makes the bulk of my money and, and book releases are honestly just kind of like icing on the cake. So I'm extremely interested in long-term sales. So I don't like to do like the hot new thing or like the year thing, the theme for the year, uh, just because they don't necessarily have as good a staying power, I've noticed. So I try to go back to some of the more like tried and true tropes that are perhaps like a little more um, older, but they've been around forever and, and people are familiar with them and love them. So like this time I leaned heavily on like the Mercy Thompson series and I think it's called The Others by Anne Bishop. So I took a bunch of trend, uh, not trends, tropes that are to market, but I'm a little more famous for writing humor. So I can take those tropes and just make a tiny little shift. So it has that same classic flavor, but it usually ends up being kind of like funny and a little fresh as a result. So for instance, in my book, vampires are very classic. Like, you know, they're tall and brooding and mysterious, but they have the problem where like the older they get, they just get apathetic because they've been around for a super long time. They just don't care anymore. But like the, the current vampires that my heroine is interacting with, they're like the exact opposite because their leader is very militant and doesn't want them to fall like that. So he has them like training in the daylight and like no drinking blood from humans because that is like a, it makes them, um, not addicted. Yeah. Well, it's, it makes them an easy target. So he'd rather have them drink from like blood pouches and stuff like that. So I just try to take like tropes that people love and just put those tiny shifts on them. And, uh, they tend to enjoy that. Cause then it's like the same, like classic thing that they love, but it has that little sense of humor in there. Um, Important and I should, question. Oh, sure. Do your vampires sparkle? No, they definitely don't. No, I kind of make fun of that a little bit too. Like that's, that's in writing humor. I love to rip on the things that I love. So I do like, I have some twilight jokes in there, but I should also add as part of this, um, to really get those crossover readers, because that's going to be a theme you guys will hear me mention time and time again tonight. I also put in some very tiny fantasy tropes in there. So my, my, K and Shea readers, like my personal fans who know what I do, who've read like the epic fantasy and fairy tales, they will see those tropes. 
and they will identify as like, oh yeah, this has the same feel as like a fairy tale versus honestly, the urban fantasy people won't see it. They won't tell that it's any different from a usual urban fantasy book, but my fairy tale readers will see the difference. Have you read um, the Lunar Chronicles? I have, yes. Is that is that kind of like what you're talking about? Because a lot of people don't recognize, I mean, they have to think really hard to recognize the fairy tales in those ones. Yeah, I, mine is even more obscure than that because I use like this really creepy old fairy tale that I would like never actually normally tell called the donkey skin. And not a ton of people know it, like fairy tale readers know it. But if you were to like go out on the street and ask like person, do you know donkey skin? No, they wouldn't. It is not like a Sleeping Beauty or Beauty and the Beast kind of thing. But the fairy tale readers know. So it's, it's even more obscure, <laughs> but they will see it and they will know it. Nice. All right. Um, I guess I should sort of answer the question too before we <laughs> move yes. on to the pricing thing. Um, somebody, like I was saying, the reason I wanted to have Kitty on is because I feel like she's a really good example for what you guys should do if you want to make money. And I'm a little <laughs> more... Uh, so I'm not super well read in urban fantasy. I read some to make sure I wasn't completely coming in out of left field, but I was very much uh, just going to write the story I wanted to write. And uh, But I did, you know, I, I my character's kind of an assassin bounty hunter, and I know that that's a pretty solid trope in fantasy and sci-fi. So I was kind of hoping I could get, you know, snark is no problem for me, uh, you know, and I kind of, for the first time, did a first-person, um, not just POV in the books, but a first-person uh, blurb, which... I was kind of skimming through urban fantasy and there were a lot of them. So I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. And it seems to be working. Okay. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to kind of ratchet down the money spend the ad spend a lot after um, I have the next one coming out in just a week. And we'll talk a little bit about rapid release too. Um, and we'll see if it completely falls off the radar or if it continues to sell. But I feel like I'm a little more, let me just try to get as many people into the series as I can and hopefully they'll like it and they'll read it. And that's sort of my strategy every time. I'm not, I'm not very good at, um, even like I've said, it's not that I'm above writing the tropes. <laughs> I usually don't know the tropes or I, I don't particularly like them as a reader myself. So, um, Well, you're also going to have like a longer series versus mine's a trilogy. So it's like... I can try and get a ton of people into it, but I only have the sale through for two additional books versus you'll have like a big long series to get that payout. So go for it when you're going to have like over six books kind of like, or even six books. Right. I, I think I'll have, I always end up at like eight. I say I'm going to do nine because it's easier for three book box sets. And then I'm like, nope, it was good. Eight's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so but then next question, what did you launch your book one at and why? Whoever wants to go first. <laughs> um, I'll go first just because I kind of already answered this question. Um, so Shade Amulet was the last series that I did before the current one. And that's the one that did really well. And I did, I launched it at $2.99 and kept it there for nearly a year. And it went really, really well, um, unexpectedly well. I don't know why. Um, but uh, I launched that high because I didn't really plan to promote it for a while, but ended up doing so anyway. Um, and I launched Shadow Profit at 99 cents. And Shadow Profit, the launch did really well for current readers, but it didn't pull in new readers. And so I think I could have made more money off of my current readers <laughs> if I'd launched it higher. <laughs> yeah. And how long of a series are you doing, Andrea? Because that definitely, like we were just talking about, affects two, which you want to launch one at, or at least that was in my mind. Uh, like Kitty said, I'm planning to do a fairly long one. So I'm willing to lose money on one or break even just to get as many people to try it as I can. Because that's, I think when you're not to market or really kind of in that hot area, I'm, it helps to be a little more willing to lower your price. 
and even do, you know, do free days or whatever, because people who are like, mm, that's not quite for me, but Hey, it's only 99 cents or Hey, it's free. You know? And then they might find out that they enjoy it when they start reading. Yeah, no, I, I usually write six book series. Um, like you were saying, eight, eight's your number. Six tends to be my number. I plan on five sometimes and plan on seven sometimes, but it always ends up being six. And that works well. Like you said, the box set, you know, three and one. And Kitty? Uh, well, in series length, I'm always like just all over the place. So this is the first one that I was like, it's going to be three bucks. And I'm limiting it to that because I've, I've done it where I'm like, oh, it's going to be three and it turns into six. So I was convinced it was going to be three. I'd plotted out the whole thing to be three. And uh, I wanted three because I knew I could write three in a row. And then after that, I, d I don't have the attention span to like keep going with a series. So uh, that is also why that kind of changed my pricing plan too. Uh, so I launched at three ninety nine, and I did that because I knew if I launched at ninety nine cents, I would not be able to keep the rank high enough just because of how Amazon does those algorithms. But I was confident um, that my readers would get me up to like past a two hundred rank, like just uh, past even like a hundred ranks. So, like I mean, like one hundred thirty or whatever, like that, not like past. 100. Uh, but I knew I'd be able to get pretty high in the charts and then stay there if I had that price versus like starting with 99 cents, which I've heard a lot of people say like, you know, you should try doing that. But since this was a new genre, I didn't want to do that. And I, you know, you've shown that you haven't needed to. And I feel like there's actually a lot of really successful authors in urban fantasy um, doing like 3.99. It seems to be kind of a sweet spot. Some at 2.99, some at 4.99. And especially if you've already got a fan base in that genre, you know, I'm like, yeah, just launch full price. And if you have a lot of KU readers too, I'm still, you know, I've been launching into KU for I think three years now, but I still put a lot of stuff wide and I still get a lot of sales, you know, probably about 50-50 split. Um, whereas I know some people will be more like 70% KU or, you know, 70 downloads to 30 sales or something like that. So if you have a huge KU audience, you can almost, who cares what the price is, they're going to borrow it. Um, but just to clarify with the, you know, we've talked about this on the show too, but um, with rankings, it's um, sales rankings, it doesn't matter. The price doesn't matter, but there is the popularity list. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I think you're talking about. And David Gogren's talked about this. You guys should go find his interviews if you need to. And that factors in a little bit where, and if you find the popularity list on Amazon, you'll see like 1399 books doing really well, whereas they don't always do really well against KU and the cheaper books on the bestsellers list. Some big name authors, of course, can, uh, you know, Sarah Moss, Jay Moss has launched a book that's been, I don't know, 30 in the whole store at $15 or something for the ebook. Um, but so it does factor in, they seem to uh, like higher priced books as far as the popularity list goes. And that is supposed to be what is uh, the recommendation engines are tied into. But I've certainly had 99 cent books still rank really well on the popularity list, especially when I was running my box sets. I still have a couple going last year. I, you know, I could still find them maybe not quite as high as on the bestseller list, but like on page four or something. So, um, you know, but you can just decide if I was doing a trilogy also, I think I'd probably like do full price since I'm yeah. doing more books. I'm like, I'll happy to do 99 cents on the chance of getting more readers. And then the next one I've already got, up and it's four ninety nine and it's getting orders. So it's not, you know, maybe not as many as if they were all 99 cents, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but it is getting, there's people who are willing to pay, pay $5 to continue on. Yeah. And that was what I was talking about too, was, was the, 
popularity. I don't necessarily know all the names for stuff. I'm just like, that thing, it's in that thing. <laughs> right. And I, if I actually have a prequel trilogy plan, trilogies are odd sad. And I think I'm going to make, try to make those quite short, like 60,000 words, almost a serial and do like mm-hmm. 299. I'll just try it out, see how it goes. And that's what you end up doing if you have extra artwork. Uh, well, actually, the next question is about cover art. So um, did you guys kind of look at what's trendy or what's popular in your genre, what's selling, and try to emulate that? Or, um, I mean, I guess we should all kind of do that. Or, or were you a special <laughs> snowflake? And uh, how's that working out for you? I was a special snowflake. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I always I love cover art. It's my one of my favorite parts of being an author is, you know, checking out what other people are doing, making my own book covers, things like that. And so I I always I love to go and just see what's selling and um like I and then sorry, um, what's his face? That one dude. Alex Newton and <laughs> Kaylytics, you know, I always keep up on his, uh, his, um, reports because he gives you all of the book covers of the top ones that are selling. And you kind of go by that, you know, and he comments on the colors that you're noticing the, you know, whether it's illustrations or stock photos, things like that. And so, um, yeah, so the covers, um, like I was saying with Shadow Prophet, I couldn't ever find one that totally worked for me, but for the Shade Amulet and the very first renda- rendition that I created is what I ended up using and it's still resonating really well with my target audience. Um, and so I think yeah, it just, it's like it kind of hit and miss for me, especially when I'm creating them myself, actually, even when I'm hiring cover designers, it's great and miss or it's hit and miss. But for this one, I mean, the current one that's up right now, it's stock photos. It's a dude um, with a background, I think. With a background. It's a dude with a background, I think. <laughs> yeah, there's a background. <laughs> yes. Um, the one that's going to be upcoming up next is actually a 3D guy. And I'm not entirely... I don't love 3D models. But he doesn't... He's obscured enough where you can't tell that his face is, you know. And so I think that it, it might work. I'm a little skeptical still. Lindsay's got her dogs talking to her. She's like, gets up, starts shaking. She's like 15, starts hawking a loogie back there. I'm like, girl, I'm recording this show right now. (laughs) Dogs don't care. Babies don't care either. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I mean, like, and then my Mosaic Chronicles, which is technically Academy Urban Fantasy. I've had probably five or six different book covers for those. And then the ones that I use the most right now, it is, it's not Urban or Academy Urban Fantasy. I didn't realize that until, you know, when that thing became big. And I was like, hey, wait a second, I have a 10 book series that fits that. So I went and recovered it. But I've got two sets of book covers that have done really well for that. I've got the Academy Urban Fantasy, which are on it right now. And then these, I don't know what I call them. They're just fantasy. Um, and then I just alternate between those two. I hate to break it to you, but this year it's prison. Yes. (laughs) Urban fantasy, supernatural prison. You're late on Academy. (laughs) Wasn't, wasn't Alex Newton, was it Alex Newton who was commenting? Somebody, somebody was saying that the prison urban fantasy is author pushed and that readers aren't really catching up as quickly as people had hoped. And unlike Academy urban fantasy, which was demand based, I don't know, but there's one right there selling really well right now. So <laughs> I, I won't pretend to know. Um, Kitty, what about covers for you? So I did look at like what was out there and um I looked to the past, like as I mentioned, Mercy Thompson and the others and that kind of stuff. And uh, so I did kind of go with a more classic urban fantasy cover, but I 
try to change like a couple of things that way it's like oh this is like it fits the urban fantasy i guess you could say schema for a reader's brain but something looks slightly different so uh for instance for me it was really important to have the model wearing like a full shirt and jacket and that kind of thing just as like a a it's kind of almost like an unconscious signal of like, oh, this is probably going to be like clean romance, that kind of thing. So that was really important to me. And uh, my cover artist did pull that off, which I was really grateful for. And uh, then I also had been looking around a lot and I noticed that a lot of people were using fire effect on their urban fantasy. And I was kind of like, eh, I'm not like... It was everywhere. So I was like, I think I'm going to have the cover artist use lightning because it's a little different. And also my main character mostly uses lightning. That's her favorite magic. So that did kind of then make it stand out a little. But I still have the stereotypical like skyscrapers in the background with like a big full moon and that kind of thing. So I, it was kind of, it's mostly like very classic, but then it's got those tiny changes. Yeah, the, the color scheme, kind of that darkish night seems very in yeah. line with what's out there. And you have a female main character. I mean, it's a romance, but it's from her point of view. And then, Andrea, do you have a male main character? Because you've got a guy on, on yours, right? My my Midnight Chronicles is an assassin, and it's, um, yeah, he is, he's a dude. <laughs> well, then, I'm just uh, asking because there's kind of like tough guy urban it, fantasy, but yeah. then it seems mostly dominated by female heroines. Uh, just like, so I was curious if you had any thoughts on... Were you going more for that, um, like Domino Finn had the dude with the gun there for a while that was selling like crazy, and, you know, Jim Butcher, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if you'd call Dresden Files tough guy, but... Dresden Files tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> tough wizard. <laughs> no, and I that's actually a really good point, something that I haven't really addressed before. My urban fantasy series with the female lead have done significantly better than the dude. But I do, I mean, I think that... Uh, there are a few series out there that have done really, really well with a male protagonist. Um, but I, I'm going to guess that it will probably always be a slight kind of an uphill battle just because that's, that's what this genre is. And 85% of the readers are female and they want to read, you know, and they're, they're, they're like 55 years old. They want to read somebody who is a little younger than them and who is like, you know, super awesome at what they do. And that's you know, a woman, you know? And so there are, like I said, there are a bunch of male, male um, leads that are, that do really, really well, but they're very few and far between. So that's actually a really good point. All right. Yeah. I have actually read several of the Kevin Hearn Iron Druid books. Those have been out for a while now, but I know those were super popular. Although he actually was kind of a rapid release. I remember uh, when they came out, Trad published you know, not super rapid, but like every three, four months, because I think the author had written like seven or something before he got the publishing deal. So um, they they sometimes do rapid release too, if they can make it work. Uh, maybe not every two weeks rapid, but, <laughs> you know, I've seen some author, trad authors who uh, ha have, for whatever reason, they're lucky enough, or they got picked up, they were indie and then went trad and then uh, were they put the books out quickly. I'm just responding a little bit because we've had a couple of guests in a row. They're like, ah, rapid release, don't do it. Um, and that's, it's fine. If you don't want to, you don't have to. And if you don't write super fast, then it makes sense not to. But I, I don't want people to, who do write quickly to feel like, oh, should I not do that now? Is it, is it out of favor? So I think they're both valid, you know, there are arguments for both ways. Um, as far as myself for cover art, this was my second plan, <laughs> which they're actually really cool. They're really expensive. I used um, this guy, Gene Mullica, who actually did Kevin Hearn's Iron Druid. And you've probably seen his stuff if you 
read sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, he used to do trad. He still does, I think. And uh, now he does a lot of indie stuff too. He gets, uh, he actually asks you for description of your characters and, and gets you know, models and then costumes that match your description. So you get a really custom cover, which is, which is really cool if, uh, you know, you have the funds to do that. I don't think it's necessary. Um, but I, I was just talking to him at 20 books. I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Those would be really cool. And so I, I like the covers he's done. I also have three illustrated covers that, um, I will be using for that prequel trilogy because I, the illustrator is amazing. Her artwork's great. I mean, the covers wouldn't have been, and you'll see if I launch, when I launch the prequel, they're not super like, uh, trendy, you know, like as far as this is what's selling right now in the top 100 for urban fantasy. But I think she's so good that they'll, they'll look good and sell well. But I, I realized as I started writing, I'm like plotting out book four. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be writing these a lot faster than she can draw my covers. So I need a backup plan. And, uh, at least, um, with Gene, he's gotten pretty quick. He used to be take a little longer, but he's got an assistant and he's really got his, uh, speed down now. So he's doing great for me. And they do one photo shoot and get all the photos that you need for the series. And then he does like a, a background and, you know, Photoshop manipulation stuff. And it seems to be well received so far. Uh, unlike Kitty, my heroine has some midriff showing, which is perhaps indicative that there will be a little bit of touchy-touchy as the series goes on. <laughs> it's, a, it's not paranormal romance, but I seem to be known for kind of the slow burn, unresolved sexual tension until like book seven series. And I don't know, my readers seem to enjoy that. And I, I have fun writing it too. So there's been some hanky-panky by book three. Can't, can't do spoilers too much, but uh, so there you go. Moving on. <laughs> you are very good at the tension. That's something I've always really admired. So to the listeners, like if it's not obvious, I am a huge Lindsay fan. Like I read a lot of her stuff. So I do like that. You're very good at that. Well, thank you. Hopefully it'll work out for people on this one. They're very much enemies in the first one, sort of. <laughs> By the end, they're kind of almost worked together, but he was completely ungrateful about it. Yeah, very arrogant. Mm -hmm. That's how dragons are. Did I mention mine as dragons? You guys should know by now. I do dragons, not <laughs> vampires, dragons. <laughs> um, and did you guys do pre-orders for your series? And if so, how long of a pre-order was it? How did it go? And would you recommend pre-orders to others? I did pre-orders. Um, I do pre-orders pre quite regularly. For the Shadow Prophet, it was... Um, fairly long, like six or seven months. And I'm really glad I did do it that long because I had so many nuts and bolts to work out. Um, I have said on this show before that I wished I'd just released it, but as a pre-order, it was, it was good for me to have it that long because I was able to work through a whole ton of different stuff. Like I did tests. Um, the opening six or few paragraphs of that book are very they really get people's attention. Like it starts with literally with him pulling a knife out of somebody's heart. And um, I've, I had really positive, very, very, very strong feedback on that. And I tweaked that in through Facebook ads to absolute perfection to me. Because, <laughs> you know, I am the author and it's going to be the way I want it to be. Um, and so I use that pre-order period quite a bit for testing and lots of A-B testing and the book covers and the description and all sorts of different things for the shade amulet. And what I usually do if I do a pre-order is only a couple weeks long, just long enough to get things in order. So like links to the back of books, descriptions, you know, run a couple Facebook ad tests and hope that Amazon doesn't spoil my <laughs> pre-order alert. <laughs> yes. We'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I hear you. 
Um, I also, I only do pre-orders and that's mostly because uh, I have built up a really passionate community of readers. So they actually have midnight launching parties. Uh, so I have to have that pre-order that way. Everybody gets it at the same time, which, which I say that, but my Australia readers always are like, nee, 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 to the US readers is quite funny. Uh, they'll like take screenshots and be like, oh, this is what the second page is like kind of thing. But uh, I always do short pre-orders though, for the most part, usually it's like 10 days or less because I already have like the book ready and set to go because I'm a very paranoid person. And uh, so I'll just upload it and then just use that time to uh, make sure like hook up the series kind of thing and uh, watch the also bots and use it to kind of do like the trickle effect of telling my readers so I can steadily get that rank to climb. The exception is if I attempts to do rapid release like this is the first true series that i'm rapid releasing but the epic fantasy series that i mentioned before i uh got the second book out within like a month and a half or something like that of getting the first book out so i had a long pre-order for that one because then i could put that at the back of the book and really try to keep up that read-through rate and that's the same thing that i'm doing with this trilogy too I, the pre-orders are going up a little bit sooner than i normally would have them just so i can have those links at the back of the book yeah, I do the same thing with um, pre-orders. And we should mention, just to remind readers, that if you are doing wide, a long pre-order can be a really good idea because it counts. Like if you get 2,000 orders on iTunes or whatever, Apple, whatever, iBooks, whatever they're calling themselves, sorry, Apple, um, you know, that can help boost your launch day juice. Whereas on Amazon, they're still calculated as you get them. So if you get a big surge of pre-orders at all, you know, and this is what happened to me. Um, I did mine for two weeks because I wanted to have time to submit the audiobook, And I want you know, they usually say 10 to 12 days at Audible. <laughs> and here we are three weeks later and uh, it hasn't gone live because I found out there's a backup at Audible. They didn't tell me or anything. I'm just hearing this from a lot of authors right now that it's taking over a month for them to approve mm -hmm. audiobooks, which is unfortunate because the ebook's been selling quite well. And I'm sure that if the audiobook had been there, I would have moved some copies because I've sold a bunch of paperbacks, which I don't usually do. But obviously, the midriff on the, the model is working. <laughs> Must be all guys ordering it. I don't know. No, I'm just joking. Um, but I did two weeks also so I could get the you know links and submit like e-reader news today. I've got a few promos at those sites booked. And then I put up book two for pre-order before it had a cover, you know, just so I could get the link to have in the back of book one. If you like book one, here's book two. You can buy it directly right away. No need to go look anything up. Just click this link right here. All the dogs are roaming around tonight. I don't know what's going on. That was awesome. Tonight you have a headset on. I'd be calling your dog's names like, come on, Willow, Willow, <laughs> Victorious. They don't seem to be paying attention. Um, so what happened this time, and this always happens, uh, Amazon sent out a new release alert. And this was on Tuesday, about a week and a half before the actual release of my book. And, you, you know, this happened to me with my Heritage of Power series and my Star Kingdom series. They've been much better about doing it pretty early on these days. I say better. I actually preferred it when they forgot for like four weeks. And then you get a random boost, you know, after things had worn off. And, um, you know, usually in the past, they're just like, oh, whatever. You know, I don't pay that much attention to it. Okay, so, you know, a bunch of pre-orders. But this time it sold like 900 books in 24 hours and shot all the way up to like 107 in the store, which is the highest, best ranking it's gotten, period. I was like, what? I was not ready for that, you know, because you want everything to be coming like the week of your launch. And then uh, I think a lot of that was just because I didn't get anything like that on my sci-fi series. I think I've been signing a lot of those box sets this last year. 
to fantasy readers and they were just like, oh, hey, finally, you're publishing a fantasy book. And they all went out. It was only 99 cents. So um, I'm, I don't have any problems with obviously getting a bunch of orders and getting, you know, people reading it. But it was a little bit of a wrench in the launch plans because I had been just starting to tinker, trying to do some AMS ads, trying to target actual urban fantasy authors because I knew everybody that came to mind after I think the last seven books I published were space opera. So I was like, my also boss are going to be hoes. And even before that, I was doing more epic fantasy than uh, definitely not urban fantasy. So my attempts to logically do all the things you're supposed to do were just kind of blown out of the water by that. And whether wisely or not, I attempted to keep things selling because I didn't want it to go way up to 101 and then drop to like 50,000 in the store. And so I sent it out to my newsletter while it was still on pre-order, put up some sample chapters. And, you know, I think everything's ended up fine, but I think I would have had a stronger launch if I had been able to kind of wait and throw everything at it in over the first two weeks rather than having it kind of spread out. And then I didn't have as many people going out and buying it that first week. And like I said, I've spent a lot on ads. I mean, it's, it's funny because in the past I've heard romance authors talk about like, I spent ten, thirty thousand dollars on a launch and I'm just like, how can you even spend that much money? That's insane. Because in Epic Fantasies, there's just not that many readers. Same with space opera, they're smaller niches. And now urban fantasy is still not contemporary romance, but it's bigger, you know, bigger audience, more people out there, more books out there, people surfing around. So I was like, oh, you know, this is the first time where they've been like, hey, we want to raise your budget for your Amazon ads because you've run out of money already at noon. I'm like, uh, I don't know. Let me think about this. Um, but I wandered off there. I do think pre-orders are a good idea if you want to get your have time to get your paper back and maybe when Audible <laughs> gets, gets its stuff back together again, get that out. But if you are doing on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited, probably two weeks would be the most you want to do. And um, Kitty, I have to ask you because we both launched on the same day. Did you feel like, I don't know how much you usually look at your also bots and stuff like that, but I felt like it really took about two weeks for things to get fully populated for me to start seeing my books on other books. On authors, was, like targeting. <laughs> it was so weird. Like I don't, I don't know what they're doing with the also bots right now. But like I know I've seen you mention on your uh, Facebook group. But I think it's because they're experimenting and like doing more. Like oh, people who viewed this like also viewed this, and people who like if you liked this, you will like this instead of like the actual also bots kind of thing. So I don't know. There's something weird and scurry going on with that. But I did want to add too. Like I experienced a little bit of like the Amazon like what, which it wasn't as bad because. I actually got my, um, they sent out their two emails. One when it was on pre-order the week that it launched. So that was really great. And then they sent out the other one uh, that said like, it's officially up. I think it was like on Friday. So it worked out really well for me. But what didn't work out well for me is I was actively trying to hide this series from my readers because they knew it was coming, but they were checking like my Amazon page every single day. And I really wanted to try and hold them off as much as possible because I wanted to try and get some Urban Fantasy also bots in there before the fairy tales just took over. And uh, so I didn't claim the book on purpose because I didn't want them to find out. So I went to bed that night, like after I uploaded it and it was on the store and everything looked great. I hadn't claimed it. I hadn't claimed either one or two because they were both available. And I woke up the following morning and it was like, you have pre-orders. And I was like, how can I have pre-orders? Like I don't have any ads. I don't have like, nobody knows that it's up. And then turned out Amazon actually uh, assigned the books to my name without me doing anything. So that's a new trick they're having fun playing with. So just be aware that, that could happen to you. So plan for it. 
because we had so many theorize in our Six Figure Authors Facebook group, if you just don't claim it on Amazon Central, maybe they won't send out the alert. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a good idea. But it sounds like it doesn't matter. Amazon knows when you have a new book coming out. Yeah. The one day. thing I do want to say that I did find kept them from doing the alert is uh, last week they sent me like, not really a nasty gram, more of like a, a very pleasantly worded letter where they're like, oh, we would like to send out a new release notice for your second book, but it has a really crappy description. They didn't say that. They said like, it's incomplete. Please upload the complete description so we can tell everybody. And I was like, you know what? No. So they didn't, they haven't sent it out. I just uploaded the new version, I think like yesterday. And now they told me it's back in the queue so they can send it out. But so that was the one way I was able to kind of control if they were going to do that or not. Yeah, I think you said, or maybe I would just guess the same thing. If you don't have the cover up there too, they won't send it out. Because I, I didn't have a cover at first. And the first week, they didn't send it out. But then the next week when I had the cover up, it's like, doop, you know, send out the new release announcement. So I just something because there anybody who's writing, like if you're sticking in the same genre, it's probably not going to matter. It's only Kitty and I are in this special situation where we, she didn't want the fairy tale also bought. So I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to be on the space opera ones. Um, and that's because when Amazon starts recommending your book, which it should hopefully do, if it's getting a good amount of sales, it's going to recommend it to the kinds of readers that are buying your book. And if, military sci-fi readers are the ones who bought my urban fantasy that might think other military sci-fi readers want to buy my urban fantasy and send it to them. And then when that doesn't convert well, it's like, well, sorry, nobody's buying your book. Nope, we're not going to recommend anything. You can just buy our ads. All right. Next question. Moving on. Did either of you guys do an ARC team and have advanced review copies? I think everybody knows that, but um, to send it out so you would get a bunch of reviews on that first launch, launch day or launch week. Uh, I'm, I'm still in the camp of does an ARC team every time. Um, mainly because I mean, I have readers who are very loyal and they post reviews everywhere. Like they'll do BookBub and Goodreads and every single retailer. And, and then they'll do like on Facebook and things like that. And so, uh, I don't like managing my ARC team, but I do like the results. And so I generally will get between, I don't know, like 40 and 70 reviews on launch day, depending on how big my review team is at that point. And I usually keep my review team between 100 and 250 members. And then I clean out ones who I basically just ask them, do you want to be, do you want to participate still? And, and if they don't, then I give them the option of just staying in my main list or just hanging around until they're able to participate. And I don't have people really take advantage of that. I used to, but, um, I started requiring people to post two reviews before they joined my team. And I haven't had problems since then just because they're not freeloaders. They're actually they have to post two reviews. That's work. You know, one review is not always necessarily work, but two is good. I do not have an ARC team. I've never done an ARC team. Um, I am so just have a, I really focus on just having an active community of readers. And so, uh, as I mentioned, we, uh, they have like a midnight launch party where they all kind of like talk about it and stuff like that. But as part of that too, like for me, launching a book is like a big event for my community. We celebrate it. We have like all kinds of like, I do tons of like blog posts and everybody gets together on discord and talks about it and exchanges theories and all that kind of stuff. So and as part of that, I ask for reviews and, and they're really gracious and um, they're very good at, at writing them up. And, and I try to like explain, you know, why, I need them and stuff and that helps them too. And I very specifically also ask for honest reviews. I feel like if you ever want to start a cult there in Wisconsin, like you're, you're <laughs> all, you can make it happen. You're just very, 
I'm so like, I still have a lot of imposter syndrome and I feel like, why would anybody even want to join a discord group for me? You know I mean? I, I don't know that I would be comfortable even making something. I, they messaged me and they were like, if you don't get a discord channel for us, we're going to start one. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. So most of this is not actually driven by me. It is not my idea. It's their idea. But I have always tried to promote like that they should talk to one another because, uh, like I used to always be like a super hardcore, like Harry Potter nerd and stuff like that. And I always loved that kind of reader community. So I wanted to have that with my own readers. And so we actually will like nerd out over other people's books too. It's just, I'm their most common core thing. So I'm the thing that they talk about the most. That would weird me out so much. <laughs> I have issues. I know I'm not a good, uh, I don't know if you can call authors celebrities. Most authors would never have been recognized in public, but I don't know. Not a good leader. Of the cult. Um, so to answer this question for myself, I did not do an ARC team. I've done it before. I actually did it when I moved into sci-fi because uh, for the kind of similar reasons that I almost regretted not doing it this time. is like I was going into a new genre. I didn't know how many people would follow me over. I didn't know how well received my books would be in the new genre. So I, at that time, I decided to do an ARC team. And um, I found it to be quite a bit of work and I was using a Facebook group to organize things and there was drama in the Facebook group and I just, I can't do drama. I cannot be an administrator. I don't like deleting people. I don't like saying things to them, you know, um, police yourselves. So, and then I kind of moved it to a mailing list and it just, it just seemed like a lot of work and I was like, do I really need to do this at this point? Um, but I almost regretted not doing it this time just because the first, there were like it was up on Goodreads before it was out, and only my Patreon people had read it, and you know it was okay. And then I was like, "Why is the average is not very good?" When somebody had like one started, I was like, "What?" One of my Patreon people, and it turned out it was like somebody that I did a giveaway, and they entered the giveaway, and like they seemed to like all my books, and they hadn't read it yet. <laughs> I think they just fat fingered it, you know. It's like, but there were only like five reviews or five ratings, so I was like, "Oh man." this thing's going to be horrible. Nobody's going to like this. And it's going to get, um, you know, I was just like having one of those like overly emotional nights for not really any major reason. Like I had a low average on Goodreads. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's where if you had the review team, people you're reasonably sure are fan, you know, their fans are probably going to like your stuff and you can get like 50 reviews right away that first week. Then you're not as worried about if the first person puts one star, is that going to tank things? So, just so you all know, we all still worry about that, even with established fan bases and even, you know, making good money. For and, sure. Yeah. You know. yeah. Mm -hmm. So question for you, Lindsay. Um, did you have, I mean, how did you let your review team down? I mean, just gently let them down, just slowly stop emailing them. I mean, what did you do? Um, I think I just stopped emailing them. And then I still got like three or four people that email me anyway and asked for review copies. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, cause I, well, I was finished that series and I had only ever intended it to be for that series too. So, so yeah. So once you get some people, you got them for life. <laughs> They're just like, Oh, would you like me to review this? Can you send this to me? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so what were your plans for launch week and building up to it? Um, so for all of the launches that I put time and attention to, um, I like starting, starting my planning several months out, um, just because I am a planner scheduler. I like to know what's going to be going on and I, I delight in marketing. And so I love, I'm like, Ooh, what if I did this? And what if I did this? And everything is a test 
just to see what would happen. And that's pretty much what this last launch was. I tested so many different things out. Um, but I like planning them several months out just because I, you know, it's, if I'm going to do a big launch then I want to know that I'm know what I'm doing and know what my plan is. Um, I don't generally like to heavily promote new launches though, because, um, I just, I do much better on big promotions later on when the series is established and I have more books available. And that's where I make most of my money is backlist and, um, big promotions. Um, and so I typically wait until there are a few books in the series out. And then I push book one once it has over a hundred reviews and readers know that there's books to jump into after it. And so, yeah, my, my plans, let's see, what were your plans leading for launch week? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> well, what did you do to try to, cause we've talked about, we don't want to spike all in one day. You know, we want to have sales ideally over the whole week or two. Yeah. Yeah. I focused a lot on this last one. I focused a lot on getting pre-orders and doing a trickle of pre-orders. I didn't want to have a big spike, you know? And so I did, I was able to successfully get several pre-orders a day during the several months that it was up. And then, um, on, on launch day and yeah, I did newsletter swaps. I try, my biggest thing is not to do a big spike on launch day is try to make it look, you know, for those who are watching, <laughs> have it go gradually up instead of a big spike and then a drop off because I, I want it gradual up and then a gradual down um, or a gradual, plat a gradual plateau because <laughs> plateaus are gradual. <laughs> well, and that's the, the advice, right? Is to try to, it's better to start low and then get better and better as the week goes on. And then Amazon, whose advice that is for, sends out a pre-order alert and just ruins the whole plan. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, Kitty, what did you do for launch week? Um, well, so I actually put a ton of work building up into it because as I mentioned, I was really concerned about crossover and I really wanted my fairy tale and epic fantasy people to jump into it with me. So uh, about a month and a half before I launched the book, I started teasing them and I made like the announcement, something's coming on 28th of February. And I didn't say what it was. And, and I do all kinds of fun events with them. So they didn't know if this was like an event or if it was a book. So I left them like talking and like, exchanging theories for a couple of days. And then like uh, by the end of the week, I told them, okay, it's a new book, but it's in a brand new series. Guess what genre it is. So then for a couple of days, they were guessing the genre. And then I did a genre and title reveal. And uh, that's when I mentioned like, it's very loosely based off of the not super well-known fairy tale, guess the fairy tale. So then they were talking about the fairy tale and I did a cover reveal, which also then revealed the series title. And then at that time I also revealed the fairy tale. And I told them I had like one last surprise. And about a week after that, that was when I announced I was doing a rapid release so that it was a, a trilogy and they were going to get all three books within seven weeks total. Um, and then after that, it was just a matter of keeping the hype up. So I made like a quiz that was basically like, what kind of supernatural are you? So they, and a lot of people did it and they loved talking about that. It was just kind of uh, gave them a chance to discuss, like have something to uh, really go over and discuss with each other. So that was great. And I looked into the original fairy tale that, oh, Lindsay's poppers is up on screen now. But I looked into the original fairy tale and I kind of like did a very sarcastic, like, this is what the original says. It's super creepy. Let's never talk about it again. And, and I just kept the stuff going up every week to really make people super hyped. So then by the time launch week came, that's why I was actively hiding it because people had been searching Amazon for this book for like about a month. So uh, then I tried to do a trickle effect where I told uh, my Facebook page one day, and then I announced it. Uh, 
I hooked it up on my website. I didn't announce it. I hooked it up on my website because my website gets quite a bit of traffic. And then I made the blog announcement like the following day. And then the week that the book was going to launch, I did a newsletter while it was still on pre-order. And then I also really lucked out and I had Amazon uh, release their new release announcement then. And then I did the exact same thing after it launched. So I, I notified Facebook, I posted it on my website. And then I also did another uh, newsletter. And that has really like kept the rank. I It hasn't really budged much. It stayed like between the 200 and 400 rank range pretty much since launch. And that's because whenever it starts to get like a little lower, I can just boost it up. Again, I purposely held back like the BookBub new release alert uh, until the, I guess like the end of last week or something like that. And and that was another push up there. So I managed to get the trickle effect. All right. I've just got dogs roaming all over the place. They know this is a bonus episode and not our usual time. So, all right. That is excellent. I think Kitty is a, again, a great example of really doing it right. And, uh, engaging your fan base and I was actually hiding it and not talking about it at all because I felt like this shame because I haven't finished my sci-fi series yet and they're all there you know I published the last one in November and then I took this break to write like it was supposed to be one book and then I was like well let me just write three so I can be prepared for the launch and then it was four I was like okay I really gotta get back to the sci-fi and so I didn't tell anybody about this until Amazon Popped the bubble there. And just to be clear, in case it's not, this is what, when people follow you on Amazon, click follow. Uh, this is the alert that Amazon will send out once you put a pre-order or a new release and it just sends it out to everyone. So they basically got that alert before I was ready to email my list. And, uh, but I, I did all the, the things, you know, email the newsletter, uh, sample chapters up on my website, Facebook post. My Facebook author page is probably my second biggest source of traffic after the newsletter. So that's always good for sales. I usually did the social media like the day before the uh, newsletter goes out. And then um, I also had the BookBub new release. Uh, you know, they, they do that for free. You can also do one. You can pay for one to the, if you want to do a pre-order one. Uh, and that can be good if you're trying to uh, hit a list or something and you really want to have pre-orders everywhere. On Amazon, not necessarily. You don't necessarily want that. You want everything to come out your first week. So just the regular free one if you have followers there. And then again, that's the same thing. If they followed you there, they're going to get that email. So it, it's great. The more places you can, different places you can have going out on different days is good. And with myself, again, I kind of diluted it because of my reaction to that pre-order alert going out and jumping up so high in the storm. I should have just ignored it and went about my business. But I was like, oh my gosh, I have to start promoting it now. Um, so it wasn't the smoothest launch considering I started writing these back in October and knew <laughs> the launch was coming. Um, but like I said, I, I also had this like, I, I shouldn't even tell my readers about it because they want to know where book seven in the space hopper is, which I am now editing and will be coming out in April. So they will, everybody gets something this spring. Um, but, and I also booked stuff with e-reader news today and I think book barbarian and, and a couple other of those sites that, uh, still seem to be pretty good, not too expensive. Um, new in books, that's, that's like the people who run bargain booksy and, uh, free booksy. So those do pretty well. Unfortunately, by the time I book them, you know, cause I, I don't like to book them. I mean, you can't really book them until you at least have a good reads link. Uh, and I was waiting on the cover art, so I, I couldn't get the pre-order up too early on Goodreads. So by the time I booked them, it was like a month out. So unfortunately, everything's not that first week like I would prefer. 
dog is doing something in the other room. I guess we've been talking an hour and she's letting me know it's too much. Um, but so, yeah, it would, I, I don't know if it's encouraging or sad to know you can still like not get it all together after you've done like 12 series and launched as many book ones. Uh, don't tell me. I don't want to know if it's sad. I'll just pretend it's encouraging. <laughs> All right, just a couple more questions and we'll wrap it up. Um, have you guys done much advertising and, and what's working well for you? I do a lot of the advertising that you mentioned. So Book Barbarian, Robin Reads, um, Book Sands, um, let's see, Book Cave, Reading Dills. Uh, and then I do, and ENT, things like that. I do Amazon ads and Facebook ads. And this is what I do when I'm doing a huge promotion too. You know, I just set up all my favorite sites that work for me every single time. And then I do that, try to make it go up and down, you know, that nice little bell curve. Um, and then, I mean, for this last one, I did, I did a blog tour. My goal with it was not, I did a lot of things where my goal was for impressions, not necessarily for downloads. And so, and I've found in the past that that will increase the more, you know, like they'll see my thing on a blog, a blog tour. And then like several months later, I have had people say, Hey, I've been seeing it all over around the place. And I know the only place it's really been on those blog tours, but those are really, really hit and miss, um, especially now. And so I don't generally do those. Um, I do giveaways a lot. I love doing giveaways uh, about a quarter or about a third of my readers find me through BookBub and a third find me through giveaways. And a lot of them are single author giveaways where I just put up like a paper white on, you know, King Sumo. And then I advertise advertise it to my, my main people that I advertise to on Facebook, you know, my proven audience. And then that's, you know, then they sign up, they get a free thing and everything. And then I, you know, tell them about the new book coming out, things like that. Um, and then, but so like for a smaller launch though, I typically only involve my newsletter, which is what I almost always do. I mean, I, I even forget to post on Facebook when I have a new book out, I'm usually like, okay, newsletter, just go get it. And that's usually enough to get me up in the rankings enough to grab random people and draw attention to the first book in the series or even that book. <laughs> I don't really do much advertising. Like in the pre-order, uh, I was, I was trying to get advertising going, but it just wasn't working. I spent like a grand total of $30, like big money. Huh? But, uh, I have only now just like, I'm finally getting those ads to kind of like start to turn on. And, and like I said earlier, like I managed to do $20 yesterday. Ooh. Uh, and part of that is because I bid too low at the beginning, but I don't really advertise all that often just in general. Like, of course I do BookBub and, um, but the first time I ever really did like, uh, ENT or any of those other, uh, sites was I did a big fairy tale promo at the beginning of the year. Uh, otherwise I really just focus on my readers and, uh, make sure I tell them and, I also like throughout the year, we'll do a bunch of free and discounted books, most often free. And my readers will use those to go get new converts. I mean, uh, no, uh, more readers, uh, but yeah, so I tend to use like the free A's and just use my readers more really for advertising. I think you, we were emailing back and forth a little bit because we were just launching at the same time and kind of doing the same thing. And you're like, how much should I be bidding for urban fantasy? And I, was yeah. like, I don't know. This is a lot more expensive than epic <laughs> fantasy is. I went in there and made suggestions for like $2 a click. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh. I've entered a different realm here. Yeah. Uh, 
I will say for Amazon ads, I've been doing them. I try every time I try BookBub PPC ads and every time I fail utterly, I even use BookBrush and try to make like pretty ones, you know, and it's just like, okay, I'm not paying $2 a click. And then if I do the, you know, bid 75 cents a click or something, let's say, then they just don't show because they're not doing well enough. So I kind of given up over there for now. And I actually had a Facebook ad work well for this one. I did the first chapter, I believe I just threw it in the ad and, um, said, Hey, and I put it on a different page instead of my own page. <laughs> so it's one where I sometimes just randomly post, you know, here's a new book I read or, or here's a book you might like. So it's, it's not like disingenuous. It's just uh random. And I think it was actually Mal Cooper that recommended that at one point. And just so it seems like somebody else is advertising your book, like an ENT or a book barbarian instead of yourself. And, um, yes got pets and dogs here. So I had a Facebook ad work pretty well. Uh, you know, and the clicks were like 18 cents, which for pros, maybe that's still not good, but compared to AMS, what they're asking for, I was like, okay, that's really good. And then I've, I've tried a number of AMS ads and it's actually been the um, auto ad. It was superstar during the pre-order week. Like it was just for a 99 cent book. I mean, it was still like an A cost of like 150 because on a 99 cent book, you're just not going to, especially in a category that has high bids, but it was, it was doing really well, just trickling along. I did find it was hard to sell pre-orders a lot harder. And then that probably makes sense. People want the book now, um, but it sold some. And then that one just took off uh, once the book went live. And that's the one that keeps saying like, add to your daily budget, add more money, add more money. And, um, I I think the average is 80 cents. So it's still to me, I feel like it's really high, but it's a lot less than uh, what uh, Amazon was suggesting for these urban fantasy authors. And so that one's been doing well, um, but I am definitely going to be... Uh, as soon as book two releases, I'll probably ratchet things down a little bit. And then, you know, just kind of see how it does without as much advertising. If it drops off the face of the earth, I will <laughs> probably in a frenzy of fear and panic go in and... Uh, ramp it back up again. But I've gotten a lot of um, orders already on book one and pre-orders for book two. So I feel like it's off to a good start at least. And it is kind of hard. I, I feel like, Kitty, you you don't have a podcast and there's not people stalking you and seeing like, hey, does she actually know what she's talking about? Or so, you know, I feel like the pressure, there's a little bit of an ego thing there too, where you at least want to have one of your new releases selling pretty well. Um, so I don't know, someday maybe we'll slide back under the radar. But um that's been my experience, I guess. Okay. Unless um, we talked about newsletter subs. I didn't do any. Kitty, did you do any? I think Andrea mentioned that she did some for her release. No, I had a couple of Urban Fantasy buddies of mine uh, mention that I had a book out on pre-order on Facebook, but that was very specifically when I was trying to get Urban Fantasy also bought, and that failed epically because the fairy tale people found it anyways. So I wouldn't bother with that next time. I'm really grateful to my friends for doing that, but I don't think it's really necessary. And I think like, for me, I try to get a whole ton. I ended up swapping with like 75 authors for Shadow Prophet. And I think the the newsletter swaps I've done that have been the most effective have been ones where a group of authors who know each other, like we, we know each other really well. We've read each other's books. We've gotten together and we've shared each other's books with the, our lists and we do it. There's accountability. You know, we communicate with each other. Like we had an actual group where we were emailing each other and saying, I'm sharing now. This is what I'm saying. And there was enthusiasm. And again, like I said, accountability, because a lot of times with newsletter swaps, you don't know. Um, I mean, this is really fishy and shady, but I have had authors. I found out that authors will share to a 
smaller subset of a list just to give you a link to their their campaign just to say, hey, I did share it. And that's, I mean, that's just really shady. Um, some people bite off more than they can chew. And so they don't give your book enough attention in a, you know, like a newsletter or something like that. And so I have found that smaller groups work better for newsletter swaps. And I did a lot or not 75, but um, for my space offer last year, I did probably 15. I think I ended up with maybe 17. And I just, I found, like, I actually found it super helpful because it was able to, you know, you were getting people plugging your book, uh, you know, as you wanted it, that couple of weeks around the release. But I found it was a lot of work kind of figuring out. I ended up, I've talked about this, wrote a short story that I published over five days to my newsletter so I could put a max of like three people's books in each installment. And then it was a lot of work and I also hadn't read any of the books. So I always feel a little weird like I'm recommending something that I haven't read. Um, and I, But I knew more people in that um, genre, so I felt more comfortable asking for swaps too. I don't know anybody really in urban fantasy, uh, you know, like a couple people. So I didn't want to go cold call people, you know, email them like, hey, I see your books sell really good. Do you want to do a newsletter swap? So that was another reason I didn't do it. But I, I do still think it's valuable to have other people promoting your books as long and then you have to be able to give them something in some way to uh, make up for it. And uh, So I don't not recommend it. I just chose not to do it this time for those reasons. All right. Last question, guys. Is there anything you regret or is there anything you'll do differently for your next big launch? Um, I kind of, I mean, my last launch, I regret the whole thing. <laughs> no, not necessarily, actually. I mean, I'm, I like testing things out and I like trying new things. And every opportunity to fail is an opportunity to learn and to apply to the next launch. And my la the launch before this one, the other series, the um, Coma Chronicles, that one went really well. And I'll probably just try that again. Um, and so my regrets are, you know, waiting as long as I did to launch and also putting so much time and effort into something when I hadn't released something in 10 months. And I mean, there's something to be said about releasing regularly and having your readers depend on that. Uh, my regret was, as I mentioned, this is the first time I'm really doing like a true rapid release and, and I'm releasing the whole series because it's just a trilogy. Normally, I am like working right down to the wire on the book that I'm right about to release. So it's like, oh, the, it launches in 10 days. I have to get the pre-order up now because I'm paranoid the book has to be finished now. So then usually like I've staggered across the finish line for editing and stuff. So I then have that time um, for the, like the the tennis or so days before, and then like about tennis days after, where I'm just doing launch activities with my readers, and I'm making sure that everything is like up there and that everything is good. Uh, I didn't do that with this one because I was actually still working on finishing the third one. So while I really was good about teasing it and keeping uh, the momentum going when I like up to launch. Since I launched, I haven't had time to really like do most of the like fan fun stuff that I normally do, and uh, because I'm I'm trying to finish editing this third book so I can kick it off to the editor, and I really wish I had done a better job managing my time and stuff like that, so I didn't have to do this because this is I recognize if I do rapid release again in the future, I'm going to have to make sure I'm completely finished with everything before I launch it, just because that is super important to me that I can actually make my launches into more of events. In this case, it's not as big of a deal because my readers know book two and three is coming up soon and that we'll actually do stuff then. But it's still, it's been a huge stress factor that I really wish I had planned ahead for so I didn't have to deal with that. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, I write the first three before I launch anything. And I find it a lot more 
sci-fi.com. Although in my case, I, I'm stressing out because I have a date with my editor for the sci-fi. And the launch has been so distracting. Between that and frigging coronavirus going to take over the West Coast, I've just been... Because like, I was supposed to go up to Emerald City Comic Con. And then like they, they're like, oh, we're still going to have it. But Amazon pulled out. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm not going anymore. And then they finally postponed it. But... Yeah, it's just been a distracting couple of weeks. Uh, probably not good to be editing something else while you're launching a new series in an ideal situation. And um, my regret, and it's, I should not have had this problem, especially since I've been working on these for a few months, is that I usually, my MO would be to um, write a prequel novella or something like that, and then have a you know newsletter sign up in the back of book one. If you enjoy this story, find out more about this character uh, here on the newsletter. And But I, I wrote a short story that takes place after book four. I was like, that's not going to work. It's too many spoilers for the earlier books. And then I was like, well, let me write some scenes from the, the dude's you know, the dragon shifter dude's point of view. And I'm like, no, that's not going to work either because that's going to be spoilers too. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to show how she got this uh, charm, which is this becomes a calls forth a sentient telepathic tiger, which is a pretty cool character. And then I had this whole thing with the covers. And I was like, well, I'm going to turn that into like the prequel trilogy. So basically I launched the book and I had nothing as a newsletter magnet. So all I did was like say, hey, if you have time to read the book, that'd be great. And here's a link to book two, thinking, well, I'll just do it later. I'll promise something at the end of book two. And then I've got, I had like 3,000 pre-orders and I had like, you know, a lot pretty good first week and all these people getting this book now that are new to me, new readers, because they're coming out urban fantasy. And I was like, I don't even have a newsletter sign up in the back. So I finally yesterday after a week, just put something in there. I was like, hey, I've got an interview with the tiger that you can read. It's on my website. It's not even like a real legitimate bonus. And then I promised them I will have the point of view scenes from uh, the dragon's point of view coming later. But so that was kind of a tough one, just because I think when you do a romance or something where it's set up, even if it's going to be over the course of a series, it's harder to do a prequel because that character is not there yet. <laughs> you know, like they haven't met yet. So, and then you're banking on them wanting to read about one of the characters alone when the whole charm is the characters interacting with each other. But uh, rambly, rambly, long way to say, I regret not getting a reader magnet you know, a free giveaway bonus and putting that link in the back of book one. Because I'm sure I missed out on a lot of newsletter signups of actual urban fantasy fans who will want to read, hopefully, the rest of the series. So, huh. guys, this was only going to be like 30, 40 minutes was my plan. Uh, <laughs> are you tired? Do you need some Gatorade? I feel like I may need to go get some. Gatorade, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I've got LaCroix, but there's no... um like sodium and potassium in there for after marathon talking sessions. Hot chocolate sounds good to me. That's that might be what I go get. That's actually like I I had that. That's what I've been really? drinking. Heavy drinkers here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, to wrap things up, would you, uh, Katie? I never even asked you for the name of your book and your new trilogy. Would you perhaps like to promote it? We'll really get it promo on this on this show <laughs> would you like to mention it for our listeners sure it's magic forged and the series title is hall of blood and mercy and it beats books two and three will be coming out soon if people get into yep. it mm -hmm. so is the mercy a, a nod to mercy thompson yeah a little bit it's also just because like the when it's hall of blood and mercy it's kind of more of like a blood is for the hero and then mercy is for the heroine just in terms of their themes so but yeah it is a little bit of a nod to mercy thompson i love that series i do too i 
I'm in her little group and they're they're very chatty in there. <laughs> All right. And Andrea, do you want to mention yours? You you mentioned it. See, she knows self-promo. She like got the <laughs> series titles in there. But um, yeah, do you want to mention it at the end? Or um, the Midnight end? Chronicles, Shadow Prophet is the first book. Uh, that's the one that it has not done as well, but <laughs> you can, you can check it out if you want to go and judge me. <laughs> um, uh, let's see shade. Uh, the shade amulet is the first in the last series that that one has done very well. And then discern is the first in my, my flagship series that has done also exceptionally well. All right. Sounds good. And my series is Death Before Dragons. And the first one is Sinister Magic. I think uh, Kitty and I both looked at Alex Newton's same, uh, word cloud report on the urban For fantasy sure. thing. Magic was like, the biggest word. Magic has yeah. been the title. <laughs> <laughs> or the series title. Yeah. I was like, I can work with that. That's fine. Magic's good. So thanks everyone for listening. If you are still listening <laughs> and uh, we'll have our regular show, of course, coming out this week too. And thank you, Kitty, for joining us and chatting it up and letting us know all your secrets. Of course. But this and episode of Ladies Who Launch. Yeah. That's right. We didn't even call it that. I'll put it in the the show title, Ladies, Ladies Who Launch. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. See ya. Bye. Stop recording, Lindsay. <laughs> I can't find the button. <laughs>